Thank you for joining us today. This is Clint Byers, lead pastor of Forward Church. I pray this message blesses and encourages you. I hope it inspires transformative grace in your heart and establishes you even deeper in your new covenant identity in Christ. Now take a deep breath, become aware of God's spirit within you, and enjoy the message. I usually preach in series, but I just felt through the summer, you know, nothing was highlighted to me, nothing was super defined as far as a topic to stick to. But, uh, you know, true to form, I'm pretty much always going to end up talking about transformation, planting the Word of God in your heart. And, it, you know, it's something that I've, <clears throat> I've, I've thought a lot about. Um, you know, you, you have, there's different kinds of teaching. There's, uh, there's works-centered, self-righteous mixture teaching, which makes you feel guilty because you're never doing enough. And how many of us are so thankful we're delivered from that message, right? But most churches are still preaching mixture, unfortunately, and I'm not, that's not to say that we have it all figured out and this is the one church, and I would never allude to that. But, you know, when you know the gospel, you move from a carnal-focused approach to Christianity, meaning it's not so much about your effort and your obedience. It's about the emphasis is on what he did, and as you rest in that, that is the source, that's the well that you drink from that produces the transformation to experience. So it's just really within me. It's just ingrained in my calling to always highlight transformation. I just happen to believe that as you, you put on the new man in Christ, who you are now, because you're a new creature in him, you've been made new, all things are passed away, all things have become new, uh, you literally are the righteousness of God in Christ. And when you put on your identity in him, when you know and you're convinced of and you're persuaded of who you are in him and your spiritual eternal identity, the more you believe that, it will begin to affect every other aspect of your being. It will affect your choices. You will naturally follow his voice and obey him because it becomes then a fruit of your identity rather than you trying to be something that you never can be. And that's why people are just leaving the church. Just, you know, the, the church doesn't offer real solutions. It offers obligation and guilt and shame. And I mean, there's great people, and I'm really not trying to beat up the church. I, I just want people to be set free, resting in what Christ has done. You know, and then, you know, we, we are... Uh, open to the gifts, and we believe in the gifts. Obviously, a miracle. I mean, praise God, 30 or 40 years suffering with pain, and he's healed. I mean, imagine what his nights are like now and how thankful he's waking up, you know. No more pain. Praise God. And so there's a lot of, there's a lot of emphasis in some places on that aspect. Let's do the stuff, and let's do the gifts, and, let's, and it's like, yeah, I want that too. But I just happen to believe that when you experience personal transformation, that is a testimony. You can't help but tell other people, let me tell you what happened to me, man. I've, I, you know, I've, figured, I've learned this in the Word, and it's changed me. Somebody, I think it may have been um, Riley last week that was sharing uh, th that she looked back and noticed a change that she'd been praying for, and it, was, it wasn't so much something that came that was like a big thing. It was noticed. That's how grace works. 
you, you look back and you just kind of notice the transformations. You notice that you're not gravitating toward that temptation and that sin anymore. You notice that you aren't interested in watching that kind of stuff anymore. You notice that you just kind of have a desire for the word a little bit more. You notice that when you're in public, you're a little less irritated with people. <laughs> Why are y'all laughing? <laughs> are you with me? And, and it's not that you just become a better person. It's just that you just, all of the junk just starts to fall away when you Really draw on who you are in him and what he's done for you and the love that he has for you, which then empowers and compels you to move toward people. You know, if, if you want to make an impact on your surroundings with the gospel, be intimately persuaded of who you are in him, because then it will just be a natural outflow of who you are rather than something that you feel like you have to do. I mean, I think most Christians feel like they're not very good at Christianity. There's some sense of lack. There's some sense of, I'm just not doing enough. Well, that's true. You're not. You never can. You never can. But God's not measuring you by how good you are or how bad you are. He's measuring you by Christ and Christ alone. And from that freedom, you end up being more productive than you could ever put forth in self-effort. Are you with me? And y'all know that and you hear that, and I'm always going to preach that. I'm always going to talk about that. I'm always going to remind you. I feel like when I'm preaching, I'm preaching to the eternal you, the spiritual you, so that it wakes up in there and goes, oh, that's, that's who I am. And you might have some sin that you have to deal with. You, you most likely do. Of course we need to deal with that. Of course we need to deal with cultural issues and the state of the nation and the world and all, all the things that are going on on this planet. And we will address those and we will always address those and we will always address those with love from a biblical uh, perspective, taking responsibility to stand in who we are in the kingdom and as citizens of this nation. We're always going to address that stuff. But... It, it comes from the place of you knowing who you are in Christ. Always, always, always. And that is an outgrowth of you hiding the word in your heart. It's an outgrowth of you taking the word and believing it. it, it it's, you know, you being, you experiencing transformation doesn't come because you see something that you should do, you decide that you want to do it, and then you try really hard to do it. It doesn't work that way. It's more of this intimate relationship with the Lord where his desires override and it becomes your desire. And it's not something you make happen. It's a process that you yield to, right? Like, like the, the, the plant, anything that grows doesn't strive. It's like the seed just does what it does. So it's something that we talk a lot about. Quick review of last week. <clears throat> we talked about this idea of how to guard your heart how to guard and heal a sick heart with grace and peace. We looked at this passage, Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Hope is the confident expectation of good things. Deferred means delayed or drawn out. And sick means weak, uh, uh, weak, grieved, disappointed, and just, just struggling, you know, hurt. Not diseased as much as it is the effects of being sick. So when something that you're believing for, a confident expectation of good things, 
is drawn out or it just doesn't seem to come to pass. That, that, that's the frustration of this world is that we know what Jesus paid for. We know what Jesus wants for us. We know that his will is on earth as it is in heaven. We know that. But yet when you don't experience it, that's troubling. It, it makes you weak. It makes you tired. It, it, it wounds you. It hurts your heart. And the reason the heart is so important, because that's where you believe from, is with the heart that we believe unto righteousness. And with mouth confession is made unto salvation. There's so much in there about the heart. I'm not going to go through a, a lot of that. So hovering around this idea, Hebrews 13, 9, don't be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it's a good thing that your heart be established with grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. So in, in this setting, he's talking about uh, dietary law, and he's talking about basically what he's saying is your heart doesn't get established with keeping the law. It gets established with grace. What is grace? Grace is God's influence in your inner man. Grace is not mercy. Grace is not forgiveness. Grace is spiritual power from God. When you need something that you can't do in and of yourself on your own, you don't have the strength to be kind, you don't have the strength to get healed, you don't have the strength to step away from that temptation, grace comes alive through your heart, through your inner man, and empowers you and strengthens you. You need grace because you don't have the power on your own, but grace empowers you. When Paul prayed, please take this thorn away from me, and God said, my grace is sufficient for you. That was not a no. That was not, Paul, I need you to suffer and deal with it. That was, here's the solution, my grace, which is power that works in you to strengthen you beyond the external situation. So you need grace. You need grace for transformation. You need grace to live the Christian life. You need grace to glorify God. You need grace to pray for other people and they experience a miracle. That's God's grace working through you. That's what grace does. So it's important that your heart be established with grace. In other words, it's important that your belief system is established with God in you working through you. It's important that your belief system, your heart, is established in the process of God is in you to strengthen you and empower you to work through you. It's important that when you are trying to do life out of your heart, which is where you do it from, and you're, you, you know, you, something in the world is contradicting what is yours in the word, you got to wrestle with that inwardly so that your heart becomes established in this process of God in you, strengthening you. It's very basic and elementary, but I just don't think most Christians live that way. I don't think most Christians live with the expectation that God in you can strengthen you and empower you. We just settle for life. We settle for sickness or the, 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 the low-level sense of anxiety and depression, the disappointment with life. You know, we just settle for all that stuff. And it's like, no, God, grace can bring about joy. You can be annoyingly happy. <laughs> so it's important that you live that way, right? And then we see here, Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God which is better than understanding or transcends understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You must choose peace. 
You must stay at peace and in peace because in the environment of peace is where grace works. And you need grace for rewind, rewind and listen to the last five minutes. So then we concluded this. Peace guards the heart, and the heart is where grace is produced. So peace. All right, now, going forward from there, I'm going I'm to read a lot. I, there's so much in there, I feel, I feel pregnant today. <laughs> well, men can be pregnant. Don't y'all know that now? I mean, hadn't you heard that? Pregnant with the word of Jesus. All right, so I woke up, I woke up the other, the, this, one day this week. <laughs> I woke up one day this week, and I was hearing this. Uh, and I can't say that it was audible. It just, th- this happens quite a bit, actually. I'll, I'll, I'll be thinking about what I'm going to be preaching on that week. It's just kind of an ongoing thing. I'm taking notes. I'm praying. And, and it, it's like a conversation that, that I have with the Holy Spirit kind of all week long. And, and so I woke up, and it was right when I was coming to consciousness, I, I just started hearing these phrases. And, um, you know, I don't want to make a bigger deal out of what it, what it is. You know, I'm not trying to say, thus saith the Lord. But this is just how it happens with me a lot. I'll wake up, and oftentimes the first thing that I become aware of is him having a relationship. I don't want to say speaking to me, but it's just I'm just aware of him. And, you know, it's, sometimes it's almost like, oh, he's awake. <laughs> Go back to sleep so I can keep doing whatever I was doing when you were asleep. You know what I mean? Like, 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 anyway, what I'm trying to say is in those moments, right when you first wake up, just be ready to start paying attention. You know, if you, if you get anything out of this message, try to get this out of it. As soon as you wake up, as quickly as you can, try to turn your attention toward him and just, just be open. You know, you're not trying to hear anything. You're not trying to force anything. You're just acknowledging him. You're just opening yourself to him. You're just becoming aware of him. Because in that place of peace, is great, grace is going to work. And it can change your day. It can radically change your day. The, the first thing you do is you set your attention on him. So this is what I heard. And it was the commas were even there. It's funny because I could see the commas in what was being said. So anyway, so when you think it, you see it. When you see it, you feel it. When you feel it, you believe it. When you believe it, it becomes possible. When you see it and it feels possible, you'll act or attract. So I, we'll put this, I'll make it in my, leave it in my notes. But th- this is what I want to talk about a little bit today. I'm going to go and we're going to read Mark 4, a big section from Mark 4. But this is the process of transformation. And there's so much in Scripture about where, uh, 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 instruction on your thought life. And so it's not just thoughts. We were talking about this in our prayer time. We do a lot of talking in our pre-service prayer time. But it's good because we're talking some really good things in there. And Glenn said it's like, you know, it's not just thinking. It's... I can't remember how you said it, but it, it, it's deeper. It's a, it's a more engaged process. And so but the believing aspect of mind renewal is when you willingly engage your heart. You have to feed on the word. Like I was talking last week, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I wasn't feeling well. I was sick and fighting something off, and Sarah's telling me, she's like, well, 
Are you drinking enough water? Have you taken your vitamins today? What did you eat today? Go put on some worship. Go pray. You know, it kind of descends down into get up, go get healed, go trust God. Uh, but it's, it's in, love. in love. Yeah, no. But, the, but it's, it is the process of transformation. You have to actively engage the word, not just throw up a prayer, not just think it, but meditate on it, sit with it, hide it in your heart to the degree that it becomes believable. What does it take for you to believe the word? In other words, for the word, for what God says, for the logic of God to be more true to you than whatever's happening in this life. And I'm not just talking about how to get healed. I'm also talking about overcoming anxiety, temptation, all the stuff that keeps us from experiencing that sweet relationship with the Lord that we had in worship, right? Like, like the word will change you to the degree that you will naturally desire what God wants you to desire, which will produce good fruit in your life. So obedience becomes less about doing something because you have to do it, like an act. Obedience becomes more of, I'm convinced that God's way is right and true to the point that that's the only choice I can make. Do you hold the word in your heart long enough until it's believable and it has changed how you think, which is repentance. You know, all, you, you, th that's the process that we have to do with the word. You take, you, you identify a situation in your life that you're dealing with. You take the word and you hold on to it. And, and you got to wrestle with it in there. You know, it's this process of binding and loosing the word and, and sending away the things that are contrary to what God says is true, and, and you have to wrestle. You got to take that word and hold it in your heart and in your mind, and oftentimes there's a logical argument going on between your thinking and what the word says. Are you with me? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, like if you actually take time to read scripture and specifically go to the word topically to, to feed on the area that addresses your specific areas of life, Right, Because we all have things that we want to see and change in our life. The Word has something to say about it. Step one is just find out what does the Word say about it, and, and, and do I believe it? And if I don't believe it, will I put the work in to believe it? Not put the work in to get God to give it to me. Not put the work in to earn it, but to persuade my heart to deal with my illogical, my, my carnal thinking so that God's Word is actually true to me. Are you with me? So um, in, in uh, ancient Israel, this concept of the Shema was something that they lived by. And the word Shema, which actually I was going to play the video, but I figured we would be long today. Uh, the Bible Project has a video on Shema. And Shema is basically uh, this concept of hearing and obeying. You know, in Hebrew, there was no difference, or there was no separation between hearing God and obeying God. And you know what I mean. Those of you guys that have kids, and you ask them to do something, and they don't do it, they didn't hear you. In other words, they might have, the, the, the vibrations might have tickled their ear, and the sound waves going into their ear made sense in their brain, but they didn't hear you. Are you with me? That's what we're talking about. 
do you hear God? And so this was, and this, I, this is kind of small. I just wanted to put it all in one place. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, uh, your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Even, even then, so much emphasis on heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Um, these words that I command you is what he's speaking about. Now, under the new covenant, these words or the commandment or the logic of God is now for the believer encoded in your heart. These words used to be written in stone or written on scrolls and they would be taught and they would be put in little boxes and tied onto the forearm or wrapped around the head and held there or vis visibly looked at. And it's good to have the, the word of God, the promises of God, the instruction of God written out and you see it. We have the written word. But now... This word that they were to try to assimilate into them, now it's part of you. This new heart that you've been given under this new covenant has the law and the commandments of God written within it. It's as if it's within your new DNA to naturally obey and follow God. It's natural for you to obey God now because your nature in Christ has been changed. Are you with me? But it's still important that you hold this, you do this process, the Shema, you listen with the intent to act, to actually change. Because, you know, I don't know, man. I, 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 I'm just convinced that the church is just not really helping people because we're not challenging people enough to feed on the power of the word to change their lives. Are you with me? Am I talking too much? You're, I know you're thinking. You're assimilating. So here's what we want to do. I want to read through this. This is the new, new uh, covenant aspect of it. Um, starting in Mark 4. I'm, I'm just going to read this whole section and then go back and comment. Y'all okay with that? Got a lot of scripture to read today. Uh, Philip, would you, would you actually follow me through here? That way I can just read. So Mark 4, starting in verse 10, reading in the New King James. Uh, so, so Jesus teaches on the parable of the sower. He's with his disciples. He teaches it publicly. He's actually in a boat on the Sea of Galilee, and there's a bunch of people on the shore, and he's teaching them, and this is one of the parables that he teaches. He comes out, and he's private with his disciples again later on, and they ask him, uh, what do you mean by that, Jesus? Tell us what you meant. So, but then when he was alone, those around him the, with the 12 asked him about the parable, and he said to them, to you, it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. Say, that's me. That's me. Y'all believe that? Y'all wait. I, I know what happened. The worship. Okay, let me keep going. All right. To you, it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, all things come in parables. So he's going to explain the parable. So that seeing they may see, not perceive, hearing they may hear, and not understand, 
lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven. That was, that's a prophecy from the Old Testament that was fulfilled in the life of Christ. There's a, it's interesting, there's a lot of times when the old is referenced in the new as the fulfillment of the prophecy from the old. So, and he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? So there's an understanding in this parable that you must get to understand anything that Jesus teaches. And I'll just tell you from the beginning, it's, it's the idea of the seed growing unto manifestation, right? So the sower sows the word, and these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. Leave it on that one for just a second. It's important that hearts is in there. It's in the New King James. It's in the King James. It's in a couple of other translations. Most translations don't have the word heart in there. I think it's important to have the word heart in there. It's actually, cardia is in the original language in the, most of the manuscripts because it just shows so much of the importance of where you cultivate this relationship. Because Westerners would read this and think in the mind, I'm reading it. I'm reading the scripture. I know it. I can quote it. Yeah, but has it actually changed you? Have you actually wrestled with the logic in that passage to the point that you have to abandon and repent from the way that you believe so that what he says, his logic, is your compass. It is your core. It is what you believe. Now, now culturally, this is interesting because that means you might have your issues that you believe, but what does the Word say about it? Uh-oh. And when I say issues, I mean stuff that we're seeing in culture. Abortion, homosexuality, uh, how to help people, all of these kinds of things. It might be loving, it might feel kind, but what does the Word actually say about it? And you got to wrestle with that. That's all I'm going to say about that. We'll keep going. And the ones, uh, so sown, and so the Word is sown in your heart not just in your mind. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who, when they, are the, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves and so endure only for a time afterward when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now leave that there for just a minute. All right, so traditionally, this passage of this, the parable of the sower is taught as if Jesus is identifying four kinds of people. Three good people are three bad people and one good person. In other words, the one person in which the word works. What he's actually doing is he's identifying four different heart conditions, four different aspects of receptivity of heart. Are you with me? And they can be in believers even. So this can be describing a believer. This can be describing the condition or the receptivity of your heart now to the Word of God. Are you with me? That might seem basic, but the reality is, what does this look like? Well, let's say there's a belief. There's something you see in the Word. There's a promise, maybe even a prophecy that's been spoken over you that does verify what is in the Word of God but yet there's not a whole lot of depth in there. We've not really taken the time to persuade our hearts and minds to chew on the Word, to feed on the Word, so that it rearranges how we see the world and we actually believe what it says. There's not a lot of depth in there for the soil, for the, for the Word to root itself into. 
might still be a little bit bumpy in there. And so when the word, when persecution against the word, and persecution against the word is not just somebody comes to you and makes fun of you for believing in Jesus. Persecution against the word is you have an opportunity to believe something that's contrary to what the word says in that situation. Persecution against the word is this is what I'm dealing with. This feels true to me. But I realize the word of God says this. So it's like, which one are you going to believe? That's the persecution of the word. That, that is the conflict between your carnal thinking and the spiritual thinking of sowing the word unto manifestation. And it all happens in the heart. All right, next verse. Now these are the ones sown among thorns, and they are the ones who hear the word. And the cares of this world, so this, this, I hate to say, I hate to have you say, this is me. So just say it internally, but don't own it too deeply. But this is where most of us live. Most of us live right here. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Pause on that one. The reason most of us are not experiencing the promises in the word of God bought and paid for in the blood of Christ is because of this right here. The things, the deceitfulness of riches, the lust of other things, the cares in this world are choking the word. They're choking the seed from producing the effects of that fruit in our life. Did not Jesus pay for healing on the cross? Did he not pay for the forgiveness of all of your sin? Did he not deliver you from the curse of the law? Then why do we still live struggling with that stuff? If we're delivered from it, we're free from it. It's because it's true of you spiritually the, the promise of it is inside of you in seed form. This is what he's talking about. He said, if you don't understand this, you're not going to understand any of the other teachings. Everything that God has for you to experience, anything that you ever think about to pray for, to receive from God, is in you already in seed form. And it's up to you if you're going to cultivate it and allow it to grow unto manifestation. And you've got to wrestle with that. And that's difficult because you, you, you have to believe contrary to the way 99% of the planet believes. 99% of the planet is scientific-minded. It's got that old Newtonian mindset of physics. It hasn't yet transitioned into the quantum realm of physics, right? Newtonian physics is like uh, cause and effect. Quantum is, it's not cause and effect, it's the beliefs of the person actually have an effect on what's going on in, in the world. You know, we are, we, are not, we are not victims of creation. We are actually interacting with and affecting creation. Are we willing to take the responsibility to experience what Jesus died and paid for? And if we're not, don't blame God. I'm not trying to find who to blame. I'm just saying this is what the Word does. The Word works if you will plant it in your heart and not let it be robbed by the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches. The deceitfulness of riches is twofold. You don't have very much money. You feel like you need money to get along and survive and be happy. You've got a bunch of money. All you think about is how you're going to keep, how you're going to hold on to it. It's deceitful either way. It's people that have money, it's false sense of security. All right, let's keep going. 
But, say but, these are the ones sown on good ground. Say, I'm good ground. My heart is good ground. And even in that, those who hear the word accept it and bear fruit, but even still, some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. How many of you have ever gotten prayer and you got 30% healed? A lot of you. What I mean by that is somebody prayed for you, and it's like, well, it's a little better. Yeah, it's not as bad as it was, but not really fully. How many of you have, that's ever happened to you? How many of you ever prayed for somebody and that happened? That's the 30-fold. That's what he's talking about. Sometimes it has a little bit. It's like, you know, it's like Jesus. Jesus prayed for the blind man, and, the, and he was like, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of foggy. It looks like trees walking around out there. And what does Jesus do? He prays for him again. He pushes on through the 30, 60, unto the 100. You know, that, so the, the miracle aspect is, is what it looks like. But how many of you, 30% of the time, are good at not giving in to that sin, but 60% of the time you continue to give in to it? Whether it be anger, mistreating your body through the foods that you eat, or, you know, the gritty stuff that we don't like to talk about. Sometimes you conquer it, sometimes you don't. It doesn't have to be that way. You can be free. You can be 100% free from whatever it is that causes you to stumble. You can be 100% free where you are not even tempted by what the world has to offer and only what you can receive from the Word of God is what satisfies. That is possible for you. I, I, I focus on this because I, I talk to a lot of people. And I talk to a lot of people that are frustrated by their own choices. And they're frustrated by their choices because they have not let the Word of God do a work in them. They have not let the grace of God that manifests from this planted Word. You know, grace is like the aroma of the flowers that are growing. You know what I mean? Like grace is the, the power that comes out of the seed. Grace is the nutrients of whatever it is that's grown within you. We just don't take time to sit with the Word long enough to let it do its job. I mean, it, it, this is about as simple as it gets, but we don't do it. I know I talk about it all the time, but I don't know what else, I don't know what else to offer other than not just the Bible, but the way God thinks. You know, the Word of God is the logos of God. It's the logic of God. It's the intention behind what He has spoken and written. And the way that it works, the way that it changes you, the way that it brings about everything that Jesus paid for you to experience is you're hiding it in your heart. Hear, O Israel. Hear, church. Hear with the intention to put it into practice. Don't just settle. All right, let's keep going. <clears throat> also, he said to them, so this confuses people, but basically what he's saying here is a, a lamp is brought to be put under a basket Oh, sorry, it's a question. Is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? He's talking about the Word. In other words, you got to put the Word in a place where it actually has its effect. You take a candle, you put it underneath the bed, it's not going to do what it should do and, and illuminate. That's a parallel of what the Word does. When we don't take the time to let the Word do its work, it's not going to illuminate and bring about and cause us to be able to see. You, you have to put the candle. You have to allow the Word to illuminate your thinking in whatever it is that you're facing. Let's keep going. 
22, for there's nothing hidden which will not be revealed. So, he's, you know, this is a promise. There, God's not going to withhold from you. It's not going to stay hidden. When you hold that word, when you hold that illuminated candle, the seed of the word, there's nothing that's not going to be revealed. In other words, whatever you're asking God for, God, I don't understand this. Why this? Why that? How this? Where this? When this? All of that is illuminated. None of that will be withheld from you. It's all revealed in the light of his word. God will give you solutions and answers and wisdom and guidance. All of it, everything you need for life is in the word of God, held in your heart, given proper time to grow unto manifestation as long as you listen with the intention to obey. You listen with the intention to put it into practice. Do you see that? Nothing is hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret that it should come to light, but that it should come to light. If anyone hears, if anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Stay there for a second. Let them hear. Listen with the intention to put it into practice. Us Westerners, we hear, a phrase, we hear this phrase, you come across it in Scripture, and we, we intellectualize it. We think, oh, do I understand what he meant? And that is a part of it, but it's much deeper than that. It's am I listening with the intention to let it affect and change me? There's no other solution than the light of the word of God in your heart bringing about transformation. Next verse. Then he said to them, take heed what you hear. And again, he's saying the same thing. Take heed what you hear with the same measure you use. It will be measured to you. And to you who hear, listen with the intent to obey, more will be given. For those who ever has, to him more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Now go back to the one before, 24 please. Take heed what you hear. The measure you meet, it will be measured to you. This is talking about what the word does on its own. This, when he says that those who have, more will be given. Those who have not, even that which he has, more will be taken away. This is talking about the effects, the effects on someone's life in regard to how they treat the word. Are you with me? This is not describing how God works in your life. This is describing the effects of the word in your life directly related to the measure you meet to the word back into your own heart. How seriously do you take the word? When you, take, when you read scripture and you specifically are trying to work things out in your own life, do you give it the attention that it deserves as if it is the cure? And whatever it takes, you're going to put that in the word, in your mind and your heart to believe it. Whatever it takes, I'm going, to, I'm going to hold on to this until it's more true to me than anything else. That's what it's talking about. To that person, they experience more. To the person that just casually reads it, you know, I know God said this, but I, kind of, I just, I think this. I don't know how many times, you know, you might, th you might think that that's silly, but I'm telling you, I've sat with people 
And they tell me what's going on in their life. And the only thing I know to do, let's go to the Word, see what the Word says. Let's craft a plan for you to move forward given the logic of what the Word says that should affect your choices, your decisions, and your actions. Do you see it? Yeah, I see it. Do you believe it? Well, you know, I, mean, I kind of think it works this way. Really? Okay. Well, how's that working for you? I mean, I hope, I hope that this is hitting you at the level that it could be working for you. All right, let's keep going. <clears throat> for whoever has, the more will be given, but whatever, whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Then he kind of gives a little bit more of a parable, kind of paints a word picture to help understand how it works again, reaffirming what he said from the beginning. Verse 26, and he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man... Now, notice now he brings in the kingdom of God. So in other words, that realm within which you are connected to God that you can experience in this life. Jesus prayed, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You are a kingdom citizen. There are rights and benefits within God's kingdom. So it's as if he's relating this idea that the, you can experience the kingdom of God in this earth when your heart is receptive to the word of God and it produces the kind of fruit that it produces, you are benefiting and living in the kingdom. The Holy Spirit is in you. The fruits of the Spirit are in you so that you will experience transformation personally to experience the fruit. And the Holy Spirit's in you to empower you to walk in the gifts. All of that is an experience of the kingdom of God. You want to experience the kingdom in this life, the word is the word in your heart producing transformation. Even the way that you think, especially the way that you think, will then drive you to make different choices. All right, so the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. I, 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 here's how I see this. He's teaching these things, and I can see them going. They're kind of like, kind of, kind of, sounds kind of familiar. And then, and, then, and then go back to the previous verse. Then I see him kind of stepping back and going, all right, let me say this a little bit different way here. So it's as if he just kind of paints this word picture, reiterating all the same stuff that he's saying. It's not like a new doctrine. It's just, let me just, let me just, let me just say this parable this way this time. The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. What's the ground? What's the seed? All right. And should sleep by night, because this is the question. Well, how does it work? Well, what do I do? How do I get it to work? Why, when, how, timing, this, that. How does it work? He steps back and he gives his picture. He's like, oh, I got, you know, this may be a little frustrating to you, but this is how it works. He goes to sleep by night rises by day, and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. I mean, this is the answer. They're like, Jesus, how does this work? Well, you know, it's like a farmer, you know, when they go and they plant, they don't understand how it works. It just works. Yeah, but how does it work? Well, you know, it's like a farmer. They don't know how the seed works, but it works. You understand that, right? You plant an apple seed and it grows an apple tree. You get that part, right? You see that? You plant a tomato seeds and it grows a tomato plant and then you eat those tomatoes. You, you, you see it? You see that part? 
because that's how the word works. But if you throw those tomato seeds on rocks, what's going to happen? You water them too much, what's going to happen? You plant them in thorns, what's going to happen? What do you got to do to the soil for those seeds to grow? That, that's what you do with the word. And when you're sitting there and you're eating that thick, sliced, juicy tomato BLT sandwich, now we're living in the kingdom, baby. <laughs> That's how it works. It just is. Are you with me? But will you take the time to cultivate the word? There's no other solution. There's nothing else that's going to work for you. There's nothing else that will bring into your life those things that you're praying for to experience from God other than cultivating the Word with all the effects that come with that. All right, let's keep going. Almost there. For the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, and after that the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately puts in the sickle and the harvesting aspect of it. In other words, the obedience. So putting in the sickle is the acting part. You stepping out. You making a choice. You making a decision. You resisting the temptation. You sowing a seed. You saying yes to that job. You saying no to this opportunity. Whatever it is, whatever the step is, you got to take that step. Man, I'm telling you, if we could go back and look at our lives and see all the times where we didn't take the small little step that God influenced, we would, our lives would look radically different than they do right now if we would have listened to him all along the way. I don't care how good it is right now, it could be a whole lot better. It's like the children of Israel that were getting enough water out of a rock to feed probably three million people. Then God said, well, I wanted you to get honey out of the rock too. Rock, honey? He always wants better than what we are even experiencing. All right, let's keep going. Then he said, to whom, or to what shall we liken the kingdom of God or with what parable? So he says the same thing again, another illustration. Uh, it's like a mustard seed, which when it's sown on the ground, smaller than any seed on the earth, but when it's sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all the herbs and the shoots of large branches so that the birds of the air may rest under its shade. You know, so it's not just for you, it's for your surroundings also. I mean, do you see it? We all know this parable, but I don't know what just happened there. Do you take the time to actually sow? So I've got a few. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't pull all of these out, but I wanted to go back to, would you put up the slide when you think it, you see it? In closing, I want to leave you with this idea. This is the process of transformation. This is the process of hiding the word in your heart from conception to manifestation. Thinking, seeing, and feeling is under your control. So the thinking process, what, what, are, you, what are you going to think about? What, what is it that you're going to put in your mind and in your heart to think about? Because that's where it all begins. And that is under your control. You're not a victim of your thoughts. You're not a victim of your emotions and your feelings. They are the fruit of what you think on. They are the fruit of what you dwell on. Yes, I get it. Life is hard. You've been through some stuff. 
it hurts and it's painful and it's disappointing. I get that. However, regardless of whatever happened to you, you have a choice of how you're going to think about it, how you're going to let it affect how you see yourself and how you let it affect how you see God. What will you allow yourself to think, see, and feel? Because you are powerful in this process. You can be a victim of this process or you can be victorious in this process by treasuring the word in your heart. The word will bear fruit, but will you take the time? You know, this idea of laboring to enter into the rest, laboring to enter into the rest. Here's an example. My parents abandoned me. That's a reality for a lot of people. It's true. You can think on that. You can hold that in your mind until it defines who you are. You can say, I am abandoned. I am whatever title else comes along, my parents abandoned me. That could define your whole life. Or you could say, God loves me and sent his son to save and adopt me. You got a choice. Here's another one. Cancer is in my body. You're going to let it run its course? Or you can meditate on that the life of God is in my spirit. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in me giving life to my physical body. Which one are you going to take the time to... Because you're going to think about something. And it's effort to think about something contrary to your current circumstances. It's difficult. It's hard. It's not fun oftentimes. It causes you to get mad at God. It causes you to get mad at the Word. You can become offended. You can choose to walk away. You can just say, you know what? Just forget all that stuff. I don't really want to try to believe anymore. You can become heart sick. Remember, hope deferred makes the heart sick. You can just kind of, ah, Jesus, I mean, you're good. I'll see you when I get to heaven. But I'm just, you know, I don't know. That stuff, I don't want, I don't want to deal with that Christian stuff. I don't want to go to try. I don't want to, you know. But they don't know how good those tomatoes are. <laughs> You know what I mean? It's like, and so this is what we do. We, as the church, the body of Christ, are to go into the world and paint this picture of just how good God is. To go into the world equipped with the gospel to show people God's no longer holding your sin against you. Let me tell you why Jesus did some amazing things for you. And by the way, God is so much better than you think. God is so much better than you think. Yes, there is still the justice and judgment aspect, but let me tell you about what he did in Christ to deal with that. What are you going to think about? Uh, and I didn't put this in the notes, but I'll finish with this. Isaiah 119 says, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. Now you can think of that in terms of a legalistic cause and effect thing. I obey and then God gives me things. And it's, or you can look at it as, no, if I, if I become receptive to the way God designed this planet to respond to the authority of mankind, and I live in a way that is in line with how he designed it for a human to live, I will experience all the benefits that God installed in the organization of this planet to serve me. Does that, that, make, that make sense to you? So obedience is not a legalistic, do this, get this. It's if I live in the way of the upright, I will experience life and peace. 
If I live uprightly, if I live in agreement with the Word of God, the effect is the whole world rearranges itself to be a blessing to me. If I plant seeds in good, healthy, receptive soil and I tend the garden well, the seed is just going to produce what the seed produces. You can't stop the Word of God from doing what it does. But you can misalign yourself where you don't experience the benefits of it. Are you with me? Because he does say that it chokes the Word. So here's, here's the picture that I see. I, I, I see this. Uh, you're born again. You're good with God. You've been made holy. You've been cleansed by his word. Uh, he's given you the state of righteousness. God lives inside of you. He's changed your nature. He's removed that root of sin. He's put a new heart in there. You naturally desire to obey God inwardly. If you, were to, if, you, if you die and you pop out of your body, that aspect that comes out is perfect. And it goes on and it doesn't need to grow up and change or anything. And it's 100% qualified for everything that God has for it. And that part of you and the word in you is trying to grow into your life to the degree that you'll come into agreement with it and let it. But when we worry, we choke a little bit of the word of joy. When we, when we try to hustle and think that we can skirt finances a little bit, you start choking that word of trusting him for your provision. You know, when you cheat or adultery or porn or any of that stuff, you start choking the word of the fruit of righteousness that can be birthed in your life. All of the stuff. So you're not, you know, so prayer is not, God, will you come and do this? Will you give me this? Will you do this? It, it's... You know, show me, God, where I'm limiting you. Let, let me clear out all of the stuff that is keeping your word from working in my life. God, show me where I'm not trusting you. Show me where I'm limiting. Show me where I'm, you know, I'm in this sin that may be causing me to trip up. Show me. So, so you're like in Mark 4, you're taking the candle, the lamp of the word, so that it will illuminate inwardly and you look around and you see from the perfection of your spirit into the rest of your being. Oh, yeah, I don't want to deal with that. And, and oftentimes when you let yourself just admit the truth about yourself, man, there's instant deliverance and freedom. Bob had a word this morning during prayer that deliverance and freedom would come about today. You know, I pray that you're delivered from those things that cause you to easily stumble. But you don't have to get God to give you something that you don't already have to overcome it. You already are. You are everything God will ever need you to be. But do you believe it? And will you put the work in to persuade your heart so that it's more true to you than your current temporary situations? Because the world is starving to see people who trust God and experience the benefits of being his children. That, it's all the way back to the original promise of God to Abraham. I will bless you, and your offspring will be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. I, you will be so blessed that you will be a blessing to all the nations of the earth, and they will come to you to learn my ways. I don't want to limit that promise. I don't want to limit what God is trying to do, trying to have that holy nation of kings and priests on this planet fully equipped and empowered 
as citizens of his kingdom, fully experiencing all of his blessing that spills out onto blessing the world around so that they look and they're like, I think I want this God. Because they see us so dramatic. And I'm not just talking about finances. I'm talking about the, world, the state of the world just doesn't affect you the way that this affected. What, don't you care? I get that question. Don't you care? Well, yeah, I care, but I'm not, you know, there's a kingdom mindset. And it's not that I'm so spiritual that it, I don't worry. It's just like, no, just, there's just a different perspective. There's a different perspective. And it's a reality. And you can have it too. So we got a mission. We got a mission to get out there and not just sit on it for ourselves, but we have to experience it first too. And you got to hold the word in your heart so that it does its job. Will you do it? Will you do whatever it takes to believe? Put on the new man that's created after God to be truly righteous and holy. You know, whatsoever is good, lovely, pure, good report, think on these things. You know, because Christ has been raised and seated at the right hand of the Father. Set your mind on things above. You're transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's so much in there. But it's not just information. You've got to wrestle with it until it's true for you. Amen? Are you full? I think I delivered the Jesus word, baby. <laughs> I mean, I knew it was going to be a lot. I knew it would take a while to get there. But All right, let's just stand up if you would put your attention on him. Jesus, we thank you. You know, and, and really this process is easy and light. This process is joyful. It's, it's, just, it's just not hard, but, but it does have to come with intention. So in this moment right now, we intend to feast on your word. We set it as a motive of our heart to go into your word, to relate to you, to engage your logic, your scripture, your presence, because the word is alive and you are the word. So it's not just the written word, it's your presence as well. We commit to spending time with you. We commit to allowing you to reshape every facet of what's inside of us, to repent, to let go of things where we disagree with you, and to, to, to agree to only believe that which you say is true, knowing that it will produce fruit. So I trust you. I thank you. We love you. Father, in this room and those that are listening, we just speak blessing over their finances, over their relationships. Uh, people are worried about people in their lives that are struggling and difficult things happening. Father, we just lift up those that are listening to you, that that peace and comfort rests in their hearts, and that grace comes alive, and that the, the illumination of your word brings real solutions. We trust you for that. In your name, amen, amen.